Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. It's Dr. Brett Hill coming to us all the way from down under, proudly sporting the colors of his favorite footy team. What is it, Port Adelaide? Port Adelaide, yes. Having a good year. Uh, And this is Australian rules football for those listeners unfamiliar. And it's a pretty cool sport down there. Uh, So they're allowing to play during the, the COVID and everything, huh? Yeah, it's been an interesting season. They've been uh, some of the teams have been in hubs uh, up in Queensland, so they've had to leave uh, Victoria, which is in the, the most severe lockdowns down here. And uh, so it's been a you know unusual year, but uh, but it's still going ahead, and my team's doing well. So hopefully, uh, you know, be able to travel up for a grand final in a couple of weeks' time would be uh, the ideal. Well, I can tell already, man, the, the, the Aussie culture, I think it just emanates positive attitude and excitement. And even in we're in a really tough time here, um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you about ways that we can make the most of this, uh, the, the challenges of, of modern life today in 2020, and p- particularly the topic of resilience, which has become your expertise, having lived through a challenge and now also caring for people as a chiropractor. So, I guess I should just tee you up and you can kind of flow into your story and, um, you know, what, what the importance of this topic is to you. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great introduction because, you know, you're sort of talking about the ability to use what's going on right now. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the direction that resilience is really heading in. You know, we used to think of resilience as something you do uh, in a crisis um, and something you do to survive a crisis. And, uh, and I think our thoughts on that are starting to change, which I think is really exciting. And, and we're now sort of seeing these crises as an opportunity not just to survive, but to grow. Um, and so, so our sort of thoughts around resilience, I think, have changed a little bit from just surviving a crisis to actually thriving through a crisis. And so, you know, obviously, this is a bit of a hot topic right now uh, because, you know, there's a lot of people feeling in, in various degrees of crisis right now as a result of everything that's going on around the world and, and all of the challenges that have ensued from that. Um, and at the same time, I think there's a really big opportunity for people to learn from that and grow from that and to sort of take lessons forward from that for the rest of their lives. And so, um, you know, resilience has always been something I've been particularly interested in. Um, you know, I'm probably a bit like you, a bit of a you know, self-help junkie where I just, I just love learning and reading. And, um, you know, I guess as a chiropractor, the, the idea that our bodies are more resilient than we've been led to believe has, has always been a firmly held belief of chiropractors that, you know, if we can give our bodies a chance, if, if we can just remove whatever interferences are there um, and give our bodies what it needs, then they are actually incredibly resilient and they can deal with far more than we've been led to believe. So, you know, I think that fundamental belief came through from my chiropractic background um, and then, you know, became even more, I guess, important to me and significant to me as I was dealing with you know, personal stress and challenges with, uh, you know, with divorce and separation and, and various you know, challenges that ensued from that as well. So you know, that kind of led me to delve even deeper into it. Um, and then I think as I shared my story around that and the journey I went through around that, it, um, 
it made me realize that it was an important message to share um, and that, you know, many people were struggling with similar things um, and that I guess, you know, for me having a bit of a unique perspective with my chiropractic background and also all of the, you know, personal development I'd done and, and all of the, I guess, you know, wellness experts that I'd managed to surround myself with over the last decade, um, that I was in a bit of a unique position to share a you know, maybe slightly different perspective on it that might be able to help other people. And, and that's been kind of a really fun, uh, interesting journey over the last couple of years, which has been really cool. So did your self-improvement quest emanate from this period of life that you describe as bottoming out and having a, a separation and a family crisis and, and personal personal struggle? Or I'm curious because I think sometimes we uh, do our studying, uh, we, we intellectually are exposed to all these great concepts, and then meanwhile, there's some uh, train wreck elements of our lives that we're not really paying attention to. And I, I'm certainly, I'm not, I'm not trying to pin you with a, a hard question because I, I referenced the same thing myself where, you know, I wasn't coming to terms with certain weaknesses and frailties and, and flaws in my, in my personal life uh, because maybe uh, four out of seven things were going great and that's what yep. the public sees on social media or whatever, you know, you, you got money in your bank account, but your personal life is struggling or, or vice versa. And uh, it's tough to, to nail seven out of seven, but I'm curious how, how that went for you. Yeah, well, I think definitely a bit of both. You know, I mean, I'd always been interested in that personal development stuff already. Um, and and I think that's an important message for people is that, you know, resilience isn't just important when the when the crisis comes. Um, you know, the, the resilience is something you can use and utilize in everyday life. So, you know, if you're wanting to study, then resilience is going to be useful. You know, if you're wanting career development, then resilience is going to be useful. If you wanted to get fit, then Resilience is going to be useful. You know, if you want to make lifestyle change, if you want to socialize more, if you want to have better relationships, you know, all of these things encompass by their very nature challenges um, and having the resilience to be able to thrive through those challenges is going to put you in really good stead. So, you know, a lot of it was stuff that fortunately um, I had sort of worked on and learnt and studied uh, prior to that sort of um, that pivotal moment Um, and then... uh, and as you said, at the same time, you know, that there were things that I hadn't, I guess, recognized that I needed to work on even more. Um, and, and, you know, when something like that happens, it, it does cause you to really reassess your entire life and sometimes quite brutally. Uh, you know, for me, um, you know, at times my um, my quest for personal development and knowledge and, you know, everything I knew and all the tools that I had in my head uh, were in some ways in the early stages of that accursed rather than a um, than a benefit because, you know, I just delved really deep into wanting to find, you know, kind of everything I'd done wrong and all of these solutions and everything needed to be changed and fixed and, you know, all of those sort of things. And, and I talk about this often in my, my book and my resilience uh, mentoring that I do uh, is that, you know, that what needs to come first is some degree of sort of self-love and self-care. Um, and in that point in time, I was very low on both of those things. And as a result, I just beat myself up really badly. And so, um, you know, it's in some ways, all those tools were a blessing. And in some ways, they were a curse because I was able to delve in very deeply um, and, and make a lot of change. Um, but it may- meant that it was pretty painful at the time. Yeah, I think, you know, this, this self-critic and this uh, holding yourself to a high standard often uh, can lead to great success 
uh, I'm thinking especially in the, the field of sport where it's such a gr- dramatically and graphically competitive arena and these great athletes that we revere and, and learn about from their biographies. You know, I just watched the Michael Jordan series and he was so tough on Wasn't his teammates it? and he wanted to win all the time and he was driven and obsessed with, with winning. And yeah, he won a lot of titles, but I think for the, the broad perspective here, a lot of us, when we're pushing and driving and trying to succeed, uh, a lot of times we get there, but the journey has been, uh, you know, uh, abused and disrespected, and we're still not happy even when we hit these uh, milestone finish lines. And so I think that's the the trick here is kind of to make these things uh, work to your advantage and put them in the proper perspective, health and fitness and, and diet and, and transforming your, your diet. A lot of people uh, experience too much stress because they're so careful about their diet and they're so, you know, desperate to achieve the body composition goals. And the whole thing turns into be a a stressor and a a net negative, even if they do happen to uh, reveal the six pack at the end of their 12 weeks of suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a massive part of resilience, you know, where we talk about, uh, you know, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And, And there was a fabulous book called Mindset by a lady by the name of Carol Carol Dweck, her name was, who wrote just a fantastic book talking about this. And and the idea is that, yeah, that fixed mindset is very black and white thinking. It's like you either succeed or you don't. You're either good or you're bad. You're smart or you're dumb, you know. Uh, And and that's the mindset I think that a lot of people have. Um, And it's also, I think, a mindset that a lot of people get pushed towards in times of crisis, you know. So you see it so much in the world right now where, you know, in times of crisis, it's like we either go one way or we go the other. It's so black and white, so diametrically opposed in our thinking. But but I think what we need to be able to maintain is that that shades of grey, you know, the concept that there is good and bad in everything and that, you know, each of those different options I take have opportunities to learn and to grow and have benefits and drawbacks and and that's totally okay you know and I think when we can start to see that that world in shades of gray as opposed to that black and white thinking it does as you said it gives us so much more flexibility to be able to make choices and to change our course of action if that's what we want to do but also to deal with roadblocks and stumbles and challenges when they come along is, is that we then have the opportunity to to learn and grow from them and, and not beat ourselves up so badly and, and see the opportunities that are there in the crises rather than it just having to be either a good thing or a bad thing. I guess that's uh, the same for characterizing uh, the, the pandemic and the quarantine. Uh, you can either write this year off as the worst year and it sucks and it's a bummer or, you know, look for opportunities. Um, you know, I've talked about some people I know are getting extremely fit during the, uh, during the lockdown. And then other people are complaining that their gym is closed. And so they've gained weight and, and gotten out of shape. And it's like, where's that fork in the road that we can uh, identify and, and yep. do something about it? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I'm a bit the same. Like, I think, you know, my best mate and I, we've been best mates for probably uh, 20 odd years. And um, we've never worked out together until Corona started. You know, my gym closed, his gym closed. Luckily, I had to sort of set up my home gym before it all happened. And so he sort of contacted me, said, can I come up to your place and work out? And uh, and I've always kind of liked the idea of working out early in the morning, but I've never been much of an early morning person. So I've never done it. 
And he said, well, I've got work. And so the only time I can do it is, you know, six o'clock in the morning. Um, so, and I was like, all right, well, let's just do it. You know? And so now you know, three times a week, I'm getting up at 6am with my best mate and we're doing our CrossFit workouts together and just loving it. And we're both, you know, the gyms are back open here now in Adelaide. And we both said, well, actually, we don't want to go back to the gym anymore. <laughs> we're actually really enjoying this. This is great. And, you know, we get to catch you. We both got young families and we don't catch up as much as we used to. And, and now we just get to connect on a regular basis. And, it, and it's been a real benefit. But, um, yeah, I think what you're saying before, you know, I've been um, – I've been really interested to sort of look at what's going on right now and, and kind of compare it to, I guess, what's happened in the past. Um, and one of the things that's really interested me is looking at how um, the elderly people I know have dealt with this crisis. Um, and the interesting thing about that is kind of looking at, um, particularly for the, that sort of Great Depression era, you know, that very, very resilient era of people who, who went through that Great Depression and as a result learned to be so strong and so resourceful and so uh, positive and solution-focused in a time of crisis that, you know, the ones that I know, even though they are the ones who probably should be the most uh, worried about coronavirus, you know, they are the, the population that is um, most likely to die as a result of coronavirus, you know, they're the most at risk as a result of coronavirus, yet they seem to be the least troubled by it. You know, they, they're the ones who are sort of saying, well, you know, we've seen it before. We, we, we've seen worse before and lived through it. And, you know, I've had a good life and I'm happy. Yeah, I have to change things a little bit, but I've changed everything my whole life before. And they're just very resilient about it. They seem to have just a wonderful attitude around it. And they're just, you know, taking it as it comes and, and taking it in their stride. Whereas seemingly, um, you know, younger people who are much less at risk and should be far less worried uh, are having far more challenge with the changes that are going on. And so, you know, I think that, you know, that, that lesson that they learned in the Great Depression has stood them in good stead, I, I think, probably for the rest of their lives. Um, and so that gives you a bit of a glimpse into, I think, the opportunity we've got right now um, for this to be a lesson that we learn that stands us in good stead for the rest of our lives. Well, in your example, take us back to that time when you describe how you were gripped by fear, anxiousness, and hopelessness, and you turned that into resilience. I mean, what are the steps you took, or how did that how did that look for you? You you reference in your uh, your bio that it was 2013 was kind of your low point, and yeah. that wasn't that long ago. So it's been a um, been a wild ride since then. <laughs> it's, it's so funny for you to say that because for me, it seems like a long time ago. You know, it's uh, it seems like another world away. But yeah, 2013. So I, um, you know, I was happily married. You know, I had a, had a wife. I had two kids. I had, you know, as you said, the, the career was going well. I was working as a chiropractor. I had my own practice. Um, literally had, you know, the house and the white picket fence and thought, you know, this is all, this is all going well. I, uh, I remember going out, uh, I was playing indoor cricket, which uh, you guys might not know much about cricket, but I was playing indoor cricket with my mates and uh, we'd won the grand final. So I was on a high, like, I was like, this is, world's going great, you know, and, and I got home and I can remember my wife was sitting on the end of the bed and I walked in and she said, we need to talk. I remember thinking, oh, that's not good. Put, your, put your trophy down, uh, yeah. put, put the champagne down. Oh, mercy, yeah. man. Yeah. And, and so that was it. That, that was the first conversation uh, with, you know, within three days I've been asked to move out of the house. Uh, within three weeks I'd found my own house 
and and had to deal with you know for for me up until that point you know my whole purpose had been around family you know like everything i'd done work wise career wise home wise was all about wanting just wanting to create a great environment you know i'd always from a really young age i'd wanted to be married and have kids i, I just wanted to have that sort of nuclear family and so you know, I just felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me. You know, my, my whole purpose for um, everything I was doing, whether that was the podcasting I was doing, the books I was writing, my chiropractic practice, um, you know, all of it, I, I just kind of lost my purpose and drive for doing all of those things. And then, as I said, went into this kind of, you know, very male mindset of, okay, well, here's a problem. I just need to fix it, you know, mm-hmm. and then the harder I work, then the better I'll fix it kind of thing. And so, you know, just analyzing, you know, I, I can remember I, I picked up a book, which, uh, which was called, I think it was called The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Um, and it was a fascinating book. And, and I think probably a great book, but it wasn't the right time for me to read that book. And it caused me to delve into this whole, um, you know, the, I guess the idea behind the light chasers was kind of, you know, people pleasers and people who, I guess kind of what you're saying before, who retain that positivity of like, well, most things are going pretty well and, and everything's good and I'm happy and, and, and focus so much on the positive of, you know, thinking everything had to be positive all the time that we just didn't acknowledge that darker side, that there is always a good and bad. And I am sometimes good and I am sometimes bad and life is sometimes good and bad. And, um, and I guess that quest for the, the positive side of the equation had caused me to ignore, you know, other things going on as well. And so, um, that, that kind of yeah, led me into a bit of a, like I said, a dark place of really, you know, overanalyzing it. And, um, you know, my work dived as a result because I just, you know, I just didn't know why I was there. I, I just didn't have a purpose for being there. And, and, and it took me some time to sort of relearn that. And so, um, you know, the, the first step for me really was about that that self-love and that self-care it was I realized that there was no way I could start, you know, quote unquote, fixing anything. And, and you know, we can't fix anything, but, but trying to get back on track, um, there was no way I could do that effectively and healthily. Um, without actually starting to focus on myself a bit more and, and show some love and care towards myself. Because otherwise, like I said, I was just beating myself up and, and going to a really dark place. So that, that was definitely the first step for me it was really understanding that, um, that, that I needed to love myself a bit more. Um, and then the next step was really reconnecting with my why, you know, re- refinding that purpose. And that was a, that was a big uh, light bulb moment for me. You know, you know, sometimes you just have that one moment where, you know, it's, it's like the blindingly obvious just kind of slaps you in the face, you know, and like the, literally the concept that I could still be a good dad, even though I'd been divorced, you know, and, and as ridiculous as that sounds, I know to so many people out there and to so many you know people who are, you know, divorce is one of those funny things where you hear the stats and you think, well, those sound quite high, but you never, ever think that could happen to me. At least that was my experience anyway. And so I'd never even considered the concept that I could end up being one of those statistics, you know? So, um, to suddenly be in that position, just turn my whole world upside down. But I, but literally, yeah, I can remember like this, all of a sudden this light bulb went, Oh, I can still be a good dad, even though I've been divorced. Like I can actually just focus on what I can control and do the absolute best I can when I've got my kids. And, you know, I went through a a three year, I guess, uh, process of being able to retain custody of my kids and and manage to eventually get to the point where I had sort of 50, 50 care with them, which is, you know, in, in many ways, 
about as good as it gets for a dad. You sort of, you can get to that. You've done pretty well. And, and, and that was one of the challenges is that, you know, at it, it various times it does feel like the the system, for want of a better word, makes it really hard for dads to, to you know, to, to acknowledge their contribution to their kids' lives and, and raising kids and and to get to that level of kind of 50-50 care, which, which took some time. So, um, but, but that realization was massive for me, you know, realizing that I could still have that purpose of wanting to create a wonderful environment for my kids to grow up in. Um, and it's also acknowledging that I could do that when I wasn't with my kids, um, that actually everything I was doing was, was sort of working towards creating a better world. Um, and that my kids, especially now that they're only with me 50% of the time, um, were going to be uh, brought up by that world, you know, and, and that the people they surrounded themselves with and the society they surrounded themselves with was going to have a big impact on, you know, where they ended up later on. So that, that rediscovery of purpose um, as well as I think for me, a big part of it was adding a little bit of selfishness to that purpose as well. Um, and, and realizing that, you know, I had been uh, people pleasing a lot, you know, and giving so much of myself to everybody else um, and not acknowledging that for me, you know, having fun, it was just a really important part of my life that I'd been kind of not acknowledging and not investing time in. And so I sort of expanded my purpose to say, well, it's not just about the family. It's about me too. Um, and, and that was a really important part. So, um, you know, there's, there's a number of steps I can keep going through, but, but those were, I think the, the first ones, you know, was really, was really loving myself again and, and rediscovering my purpose. Wow, that's a great story. I can relate on so many levels. Uh, you know, having gone through divorce myself, 2016, and uh, you know the statistics and uh, your friends and, and people around you. Of course, it, it touches everyone. It's so common, and it's really not that big of a deal until it happens to you, and then it's kind <laughs> exactly. of a bigger deal. And so, I've always been a really supportive guy for my friends and, and couples on both sides, and maintaining friendships, and you know, acting like uh, life goes on. And then uh, when you're faced with it yourself, uh, that key transformation of your mindset, I think is really important that, you know, this is what you're faced with now and um, you're going you're gonna to make the best of it. But also that part about positivity, which I really connect with also, uh, where, you know, that quest to be eternally positive and to always put a positive spin on things uh, allowed me to uh, sort of, you know, go to those dark places in life where things, you know, became um, troubling, but I refuse to acknowledge it. It might be finances, it might be relationship, it might be uh, who knows what it is where you can, you know, talk yourself out and, and make a rationalization that, yeah, I'm, I'm still in quite, I'm still quite fit, even though I haven't been to the gym in three months because I used to be a professional athlete racing against the bloody Aussies who were so fast. Uh, but I, I remember um, a comment from Deepak Chopra, the great new age author, and he said that, um, eternal positivity is itself a source of stress. And that one hit me like a brick because that is, you know, I'm the guy with the smile on my face and um, boy, it, it really is a coping mechanism uh, that's probably quite inferior to, let's say, applying skills like resilience to face things head on in a direct manner, acknowledge that, hey man, your life's in the shithole right now in these seven different areas and, um, you know, let's see what we can do about it. And, and move from there. So I like that uh, first step of self-love because that implies that, you know, you don't have to always be positive all the time. It's okay that you're struggling right now and you might even be able to uh, share that story with your mates who usually only talk about uh, Port Adelaide and the footy uh, <laughs> record. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, my mates don't like Port Adelaide. They go for the opposing team. So we uh, we we banter about that. We don't we don't get together on that one. But but um no, I think what you're saying is absolutely right. And your reaction is really every time I've sort of started to share this story has been such a common reaction. Like, oh, I can totally relate to that. Which is which is in the end, I guess, what made me realise that telling my story was so important. And and you know, I've now gone on to sort of write a book about it and have a whole mentoring program built around this resilience because. Yeah, I just got that reaction. You know, I can remember talking on stage in 2016 uh, at our wellness summit we run for our podcast network. And, and you know, we had about 600 people there. And honestly, I spoke about this journey and it felt like at the end of that talk, like 595 people came up and said, oh, my God, I can so relate, you know. And it's and the second part of it was it's so good to hear it from a guy because guys don't talk about this mm. stuff. You know, and it just made me go, oh, my God, like this is something that I need to talk about, you know. Um, so it was. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Deepak Chopra. One of, the, one of the people who was really fundamental to me in my journey, and, and I was fortunate enough to interview her twice on my podcast show, uh, was Byron Katie. I don't know if you've come across Byron Katie's The Work. You know, and she talks about loving what is, you know, and, and that's just such a great phrase, I think, that, that absolutely encapsulates what we're talking about. It's just loving what is. You know, there's good and bad and we can love both, you know, that, that, that I'm sometimes good and bad and I can still love myself. You know, it's just this is what it is and, and you can just, you can love it anyway and, and you can love the process and you can love the challenge and you can love the learning and you can love actually all aspects of that. That, that is actually a choice you can make you know from a from a very young age well my favorite quote has always been um i choose to believe that the universe is conspiring to help me you know and it's one of those quotes that's variably attributed to about a billion different people and anonymous and you know all of those people and so um i don't actually know where it comes from but i love it and and the thing i love about it the most is i think you don't necessarily, it sounds like a bit of a spiritual quote, but you don't necessarily have to be spiritual to get it, you know? And so I'm by nature, probably more pragmatic than spiritual. Like I I can kind of go into both worlds, but, but I'm much more of a pragmatic person than a spiritual person. And so my way of thinking about that quote is probably different. You know, some people think about that and they think of the the universe or they think of God, or they think of, you know, whatever that is that, that they, you know, whatever their higher beliefs are, Whereas I look at it much more pragmatically and say, well, you've kind of got two choices, right? You either choose to believe that the universe is conspiring to help you, or you choose to believe that the universe is not conspiring to help you. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is that one of them helps you retain in a growth mindset. You know, one of them helps you see opportunities more easily and more clearly. You know, one of them helps you move forward and, and thrive through challenges. Um, and one of them help, you know, tends to make you feel like the world is out to get you, you know? And so regardless of whether it's true or not, I choose to believe it because my life is better when I do, you know, and, and that's my way of thinking about that quote. And, and I really feel like it's stood me in really good stead through all of these challenges in many ways. Uh, so what's the name of your book? Uh, my book is called Rock Bottom. Um, it's available on pre-order right now. Although actually the ebook is available right now on my website. So if you want to go to drbretthill.com, you can get it there. Um, and yeah, it's all about thriving through personal and professional challenges. So um, it's very exciting. It's, it's just coming out. I will definitely, once I get my hands on all of the hard copies, I'll definitely send one over for you. Oh, that's great. And so are you talking us through these steps in the book where you talk yeah. about starting with self-love and then connecting to your why? I'd love to maybe yeah. uh, try to drift through these on the show and give people a, a nice perspective and compel them to 
to grab that book, Rock Bottom. Yeah. Is there a subtitle that's a little more hopeful than Rock Bottom? I mean, give me the whole scoop here, man. <laughs> well, well, Rock Bottom came from a quote from J.K. Rowling, actually, uh, author of Harry Potter. Um, and, and her quote was, I believe it was Rock Bottom was the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. Wow. Um, Love it. And it was just the perfect quote. You're the, you're the, sometimes it's just the perfect quote for the perfect time. And, and I just remember reading that and going, oh, my God. God, yes. Okay. Like it was just a, one of those mindset shifts where you just kind of think like you see it as an opportunity, like literally it goes from, oh my God, you know, my life has ended. This is the worst thing ever to actually, this is an opportunity to start again from fresh and build it however I want, you know? Um, so it was just the perfect quote for the book. And, uh, and yeah, I was just like, no, that is, that is it. So when I did that talk in 2016, uh, I called my talk rock bottom for that reason. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, the reaction to that talk, uh, you know, I, th- I think there was probably about 30 people who came up to me and said, you need to write a book. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think I need to write a book. You know, I'm a bit slow like that, but you know, they, they all came and <laughs> told me and, and I was like, all right, that, you know, I've, I'd written books before. And, you know, I think at the end of every book I get to, I go, that's it. I'm done. I'm never writing a book again, <laughs> you know, and then invariably, um, you know, I've already started writing another one <laughs> and, you know, something comes along that makes me think, okay, that's something I need to share and something I need to write about. So, um, yeah, so that's where rock bottom came from. It was just that perfect quote um, that made so much sense. So yeah, it kind of, I guess it can sound like a negative, but when you hear the whole quote, you realize that it's uh, that it's very optimistic and very hopeful. So we, we want to uh, connect with our purpose. If we got yep. a little lost and a little off track, you describe how, hey, you can, you're still allowed to be a great dad and a great family person, uh, even, yep. even in your uh, new uh, you know, status. Uh, and then yep. where do we go from there? Well, I think the next step from there is really curiosity. You know, and in many ways, curiosity was part of it that came very naturally to me. You know, I was always very naturally curious. You know, I'm sure you're the same ending up sort of doing what we do in terms of health and wellness and podcasts and all those things. You just have that, that curious nature that you just want to know why, you know, why I was, I'm sure I was that annoying kid who always asked that question. Um but, but curiosity to sort of look into what's going on and why it's going on and what are different perspectives on this? You know, what are different options that I could take moving forwards? And so it's really about that ability to very honestly, you know, analyze where you're at, you know, and, and what is actually going on. And that can be, um, you know, as I said, for some of us who are, you know, eternal optimists, that can be, you know, acknowledging the, the downsides as well and acknowledging those dark sides that I mentioned before. Um, and for some people who are, you know, eternal pessimists, then that can be acknowledging the positive side as well and, and sort of getting really curious about those shades of grey. And so the, the curiosity, I think, does really speak to that growth mindset that we spoke about earlier, you know, understanding that not everything is black and white, that there are shades of grey in there, that if we just look a little bit more deeply, um, we can get a more nuanced understanding of, A, what's going on, and B, what possibilities that means there are moving forwards. Um, and, and that really does allow us to shift into that growth mindset, which allows us to see, you know, the benefits in the challenges and the challenges in the benefits, you know, and, and to see the opportunities that exist to grow and to change and to move forward. And, you know, obviously, this is where it becomes very nuanced. Everybody, everyone's life and, and challenges and growth opportunities are different. Um, but in many ways, the the ways you come to those and the ways you sort of acknowledge and deal with those, particularly tying them back into that purpose we'd just spoken about, you know, the, 
the purpose becomes the compass. You know, then the, the when you once you've got that self love, you know, and then you've developed that you're reconnected with that purpose, then that really becomes the compass for your curiosity. Whereas you become curious and you see all the different options all of a sudden unfold in front of you, then then the purpose is what allows you to see very clearly which one is right for you and which mm-hmm. one is not. You know, when you mm-hmm. when you've got that connection and you and you maintain and and foster that connection on a regular basis, in many ways it makes that because uh, you know sometimes that curiosity can be really daunting. It's like whoa, hang on, there's all these options out here now. Like, uh, you know, in many ways, black and white can be easier. You know, it's like I either do it or I don't. It's right or it's wrong. I either, you know, eat paleo or I, I you know, 100% of the time or I never do it, you know. Uh, and, and in some ways that's easier. You know, in many ways that's why we go that place in times of stress is that, you know, if I just, if I'm either all in or all out, I don't have to think about it on a conscious basis, you know. Um, but the reality is when you're really well connected with your why and your purpose, then it's almost just as easy. Like the, the answers are so obvious about which track you need to go down because it's because the question is, well, which one just takes me closer to my purpose? Um, and, and that really can be your guiding light through that, that curiosity and, and that next sort of phase of your journey. Yeah, well said. I mean, right now with all our access to information, and the onslaught of information that's constantly uh, has the constant potential to distract us. Um, we can we can live our whole lives just being curious about a million different things and not getting focused to do anything about it. We can become the the dilettante at uh, the corner coffee shop who can talk about Aussie rules football as well as the NBA as well as the track circuit and the golf scene, uh, but having never swung a club or uh, <laughs> shot a basket. And I see that. Um, I see that potential today to just kind of be, I guess, a consumer of information and have a massive knowledge base, but it's just sort of, uh, you might as well be like a, um, a mobile device that you can uh, type in uh, a Google search uh, unless you're you know, really uh, pursuing this really clear purpose and making a difference and struggling through the ups and downs that uh, require uh, the application of resiliency or uh, that build resiliency. Uh, and boy, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to make a judgment about uh, the younger generation, but uh, their lives are quite a bit different than ours where they've been shielded from, uh, you know, failure and struggle. And that was part of uh, Carol Dweck's message and mindset and another work that she's put out. Um, same with Ashley Merriman and Poe Bronson, who have honored her work and written their own wonderful books like Top Dog and Nurture Shock, that we've created these little uh, children in a bubble uh, because we have all this potential now to, to orchestrate their lives. And so they come out with, you know, uh, straight A's and uh, uh, high achievement awards but you know, having never been through the 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 ups and downs and the you know the soul searching uh, and all those things that you know you're describing in your own journey. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think uh, you know, in many ways, I think the fear of us as parents um, has sometimes done a disservice to our children. You know, that, that we've been sort of stuck in that fear based mindset. And, and as a result, have wanted to shield our kids from our fears um, and have denied them the opportunity to develop their resilience and develop their growth skills. Um, and, and I do look at it in that way. Like it, it is a development opportunity. It's a skill that they need to learn. And, and really, I feel like as parents, we should be doing the opposite. We should be giving them the 
more opportunities to fail, you know, more opportunities to stumble and to learn. And, and in many ways as a parent, you know, I see that almost as my role to create safe opportunities for them to fail. And we do that, you know, I do that with my kids in lots of different ways, but, you know, we do a, we do a CrossFit workout together every Sunday, you know, and my kids love it. And they, and they get in there in the gym and they, you know, they do hard stuff. And sometimes they <laughs> collapse in a heap on the floor and go, this is too hard. I can't do it. You know, I don't want to do it. Or, you know, and, and just little things like that, you know, are, are just such great opportunities for them to to sort of thrive through adversity. And, and, and they're amazing. Like kids are just the best tool for learning you'll ever get in your life. I think probably kids and relationships are probably <laughs> equal in terms of, you know, learning tools. But But kids are just... You know, just, just watch them and follow them and see what they do and, and get curious about them and you'll just learn so much. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think that is, uh, that's a great way to re- retain curiosity. Um, but I think you're absolutely right in terms of, um, you know, what you're saying about the, the world right now. You know, I, I think with everything that's going on in the world right now, this, this curiosity and this quest for information, you know, if that's not preceded by the other steps I mentioned, then you do have a tendency to get lost. In it. And it's very easy to make a mountain out of a molehill and you get one little bit of information. And if you've got this and you're seeing it right now, this black and white thinking, like people are either heading one way or they're heading the other way, you know, and one way is down this route of just medical fear around mm. the coronavirus and how bad it is and what's going to happen and what we need to do. And we need to, you know, we're just going to have to live in a bubble for the rest of our lives. And that's just going to be the world from now on. And the other direction is a, um, an alternative health fear and a conspiracy theory fear where these little bits of information just keep growing and growing and compounding. And all of a sudden it becomes this massive, you know, global conspiracy and there's all these different threads and tangents coming in. And, and I'm not saying that none of that is true, you know, but what I am saying is we need to be careful of, of going that black and white route and, and missing the nuance of what's going on, the balance of what's going on. Because when we do that, we get totally distracted from what's important. You know, and really, ultimately, I think what's important is is what we do. You know, is is how we look after ourselves. You know, we're seeing people getting so distracted with these conspiracy theories that they're forgetting to do the simple things really well. You know, that actually the best thing you can do for yourself right now is like eat well and exercise and look after your mindset. That's the best thing you can do for yourself right now. And the fact that that's the best thing that you can do for yourself right now means that you then would show up as the best version of yourself for your family and have the best chance to influence your family. And and then by influencing your family, that's what's going to give you the best chance to influence your community as a, as a role model in that regard, you know, and and if influencing your community takes, makes a change, then that's the best chance you've got of actually influencing the world. You know, so, so it's like, it's so easy to get so distracted on either side of the equation, but if we can actually come back to, doing the simple things really well. I think that's actually, that's the most powerful thing we can do right now, but it's the thing we get most distracted from in times of crisis. If we don't have those, you know, core foundations of resilience. Wow. I, I've never quite thought of it that way as a massive uh, invasive distraction, you know, all the, all the fear mongering and uh, what the news is peddling every day. And I don't think I'm, uh, I don't identify myself as someone who's succumbed to that at a high level, but when you see what's going on around you and you realize that getting caught up in this serves to kind of isolate you from taking that first step out the door to improve your exercise program or make a healthy dietary choice, it kind of makes a lot of sense. And I think um, 
that's boy, you, you could kind of put that characterization on social media and all the distractibility Massively. that people are, you know, pushing at us. They want to distract us from our real lives and give us, I guess, some short-term gratification uh, in favor of, you know, being on that path and, and honoring your true purpose and all that great stuff. So yeah, watch out listeners, stay focused on, on your tiny little world there and then have it emanate like, like Dr. Brett describes into your community. That's great. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then I think the, the next step on that, you know, on that journey is really around managing expectations, um, you know, and really losing your expectations, you know, because if you go on that journey with an expectation of the outcome, um, particularly expectations around what the rest of the, how the rest of the world is going to respond to your journey, um, then, then you really are setting yourself up for disappointment, you know, and, and you really do lose that degree of curiosity and flexibility um, because you're fixated on once again a particular outcome and, and often a black and white outcome you know it's like I either succeed or I fail you know I either re, re, you know, repatch up my marriage or I don't you know I either um, you know I get my I'm either with my kids all the time or I'm a bad dad you know uh, that, that expectation of how things should be um, you know, is a massive one. Obviously, you know, for me, as I went through the process of the divorce, you know, the, the expectation I'd had on myself without even realizing I'd had it really was that, well, yeah, I was going to be married for the rest of my life and, you know, raise my two kids and I was going to live in the same home and I was going to, you know, and there was just there was so many expectations that were there around how things should be done um, that, that when they were sort of taken away from me, that, that was just, you know, mind-blowing and, and devastating, um, and, and so I think, you know, having a, having a healthy dose of, um, losing those expectations, you know, acknowledging that the world isn't black and white, that there is fluidity that, um, you know, I mean, I mean, the simple act of, you know, whenever you're writing your goals, um, you know, I always now, and I kind of always did before, but I didn't really get it, <laughs> but I'd write my goals and I'll say, or something better. You know, and, and just that little tweak, that little change just moves you into that growth mindset, you know, of saying, well, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm moving towards because it's totally okay to have something you're moving towards. Um, but it's when you're fixed on exactly that expectation of exactly what it's going to be that sometimes you can get yourself in trouble. And and as you mentioned earlier, you know, for some people that can be really beneficial. They, they are very strict goal setters and they'll state this is exactly what I want and they'll strive towards it and often they'll achieve it. Um, but you just need to be careful that that's not dominating your entire life, that, that, that you know, you're missing out on opportunities, you're losing other chances, you're, um, you know, losing balance in your life because you're so dogmatically headed towards that. You've got such an expectation that that's the only way that it can be and that's the only way of success. You know, I think you mentioned some, some people earlier and then their sort of dogmatic search of success. So I was reading a quote just yesterday from Steve Jobs of, towards the end of his life just talking about how, you know, dogmatically he'd been in pursuit of that career success and, and how that had impacted on his health and his family and, and all of those other aspects. So, you know, I think losing those expectations and remembering that there are lots of right answers, you know, and there are lots of different paths you can go down in your life and, and one isn't necessarily better than the other um, is a really important next step. Yeah, listen to Steve Jobs, folks. I mean, these are, you know, these these realizations that come out on the poor guy's deathbed, it's, it's pretty heavy. And so uh, we definitely need to honor those examples. I remember uh, opening up to a passage in 
Jack Welch's autobiography. He was the leader of General Electric and regarded as one of the great executives uh, of you know American corporate culture. And uh, he was talking about how they used to put in the extreme hours back in the day. And of course, if the if the boss was coming in on Saturday, then all 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 the team was expected to come in on Saturday. And he says, yeah, there were some prices and consequences to pay for this type of approach. And then the next sentence, I'll never forget it the rest of my life. He said, for example, comma, my children, blah, blah, blah. They spent most of the time with their mom, da, da, da. So like he, 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 he neglected his relationship with his children, but not only that, he wrote in that sentence that his children were an example rather than his children being, you know, the centerpiece of his being and his highest calling in life is to be a father. And it was just like, for example, my golf game suffered. I went from a six handicap to a 12. <laughs> for example, I didn't have a good relationship with my children. And it was such a, a heavy thing that here's this smiling face on the cover of the book that everyone reveres as a great leader and not taking away anything from what he's accomplished. And I appreciate him being vulnerable and looking back on his journey and saying, yeah, I kind of possibly F that up too. Uh, boy, we can, you know, take that and run with it and, and realize that, uh, you know, that, that, that what you described, losing expectations. I try to say that a lot too uh, with, my, with my message, especially coming from that athletic example where it's really critical to release the attachment of your self-esteem to the outcome of what you're doing. Because if you don't, Oh my gosh, you're a frail and vulnerable competitor who's, you know, liable to get discouraged at the drop of a hat after one bad workout or one defeat. And really what we want in a champion is someone who's extremely resilient to whatever ups and downs to the extent that every failure is just an opportunity for, for growth and improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, Jordan spoke about that in his doco that you mentioned earlier, didn't he? You know, about how many shots he missed. You know, how, I think he said at one stage that he missed more game-winning shots than any other player mm-hmm. uh, because he was the one that took them, you yeah. know. And and so, uh, yeah, absolutely. We, we see that in so many aspects of life. And, and once again, you know, I'm not here to judge people's um, – their expectations or their goals, because, you know, for some people, their per- their purpose in life is their career success, you know, and, and that's what they love and that's what they strive towards. And if that's your purpose and, and that's the way, you know, their family dynamic is such that he strove for career success and his wife's purpose was just all around family and bringing up those kids. And, you know, I, I'm not here to judge that. Like if that's your purpose, then that's great, but, but just get curious and make sure it is, you know, you don't want to mm. get to the end of your life like Steve Jobs and say, Gee whiz, I thought that was my purpose, but um, you know, now I realize that actually I neglected other things that actually were really important to me. Well, I like how all your insights or your steps flow together. So just to remind the listener, we started out talking about uh, cultivating that self-love before you go on any journey of personal improvement or reflection, and then uh, getting connected to your why, uh, getting curious about that. Once you have that purpose in place, and that kind of informs your curiosity or focuses it, uh, and I think hand-in-hand with that is being honest with yourself, right? So you can Mm, uh, wonder if you're deluded that... You're, you're, you think your purpose is to get the Ferrari, uh, but really, you know, it might be something to, to reflect deeper and then uh, letting go of those expectations and, you know, going, going for it. You, could, you can certainly make a commitment to be super competitive and driven and focused and want to, you know, do the very best. Uh, but without that expectations, I think that's the magic where um, a lot of people screw that up, including a lot of peak performance gurus who are just all about, you know, talking about optimizing every inch of your life. But they forget to mention that, you know, maybe it's okay to uh, let go of your expectations. 
Absolutely. And we've all done that, I reckon, where we've had a guru we've been following and and you kind of, you try and be them because you, know, you think, well, this person's got it all together. Like if I could just be like them, then my life would be all together too. And, and you sort of, I think everyone goes through those phases in the early stages of their sort of personal growth journey. And, and in many ways, I think it is a, you know, a, a useful shortcut because you kind of just, you copy them and you, and you figure out what bits of that work for you and which bits don't and it gives you a bit of a framework to start from but but you very quickly realize that you're just not them you know uh, my co-host on my podcast show that I did for many years which was the wellness guys show uh, my co-host Lawrence was just a very organized guy like his thing is just product productivity you know and he analyzes his life to the nth degree and he plans his life and times his life to the nth degree and, and that fits in so well with his purpose and with his personality and what he wants to achieve and and it's perfect for him you know but when I tried to do it it just stressed the hell out of me you know I was just like so bottled up with this you know this rigidity of trying to do everything in that way that, that it took me that then I realized that it just wasn't me it didn't work for me it didn't make me happy it didn't actually even make me more productive um and, and so I had to sort of you know get curious about well, okay which bits of this will work for me and which bits of it do I just need to let go and acknowledge that that's just not me Wow. Yeah. And I think for you young listeners out there uh, with so much pressure and expectation put upon us by the world and wanting to mold us into a person that maybe we're not supposed to be. And I'm thinking of the educational system for one, where a lot of kids aren't cut out for uh, college, but there's so much pressure and expectation that you're supposed to grind through this thing, even though their passions might lie elsewhere. And boy, then there's parents that refuse to back off and kind of let the child bloom into uh, the person they deserve to be. Uh, not to harp on that example, but I think even for us adults, oh, when one. we're stuck in these careers and we're so locked in that we don't even have time for reflection on whether this is still uh, a path to cultivating the highest expression of my talents and, and purpose as a human. And all of a sudden, you know, seven years go by or 14 or 21. So I think constantly keeping this stuff in the mix and not being afraid uh, to be honest and, you know, to reassess and reevaluate. And your example of kind of like forcing yourself to be a highly organized person, I know that stuff, you know, hasn't worked well for me whenever I tried to stray from, you know, my basic nature as a human and I'd, I'd feel, you know, inferior or second guess my approach. And then I'd have to go looking for validation somewhere. I remember uh, Katie Bowman, you might've heard of her, the biomechanist. Uh, she's written Move Your DNA and a lot of books about uh, healthy, nutritious movement is her, uh, yeah. her tagline. And I used to have this fidgety work day where I'd stand up for a while. Then I'd go sit on the couch in lounging mode. Then I'd sit on a chair. Then I'd take a 10 minute break to go do some exercise. Then I'd come back and I'd only work for 20 minutes and take a another 10 minute break. And I felt so bad, like I was just being a goof off because I was able to work at home and no one was watching me. And she, you know, has this uh, position that what you really want to strive for in your workday is tremendous variation in your body positioning. And yeah. so it's highly recommended to go stand up, sit down, stand up, move to another room, take a quick break for exercise. And I'm like, yes, my, my methods were effective all along. <laughs> But, you know, it's, yeah. it's funny how we, you know, go away from our strengths because uh, maybe even just one offhanded comment by somebody like, what's all that paperwork over in the corner? Why it's such a mess? And maybe that's yeah. the, the strategy that works for you. And you know where everything is if you were asked to produce one paper. Yeah. And, you know, in chiropractic philosophy, we talk about that as your innate intelligence. 
you know, the uh-huh, intelligence the, the that exists intelligence within of the your body. body. Yeah, yeah, I love it. That, that your body actually knows what to do and it knows when to do it. And so often that is, you know, they talk about our educated mind and, and they say, you know, our educated mind, which is, you know, the stuff we've been taught uh, of how we should be doing things and all those expectations of what we should be doing and when we should be doing it and what time you should eat breakfast and what time you should have your break and all of those things that are so rigid and so structured is that kind of educated mind stuff. But, but yeah, sometimes if we actually just listen to our body you know it tells us hey i need to move a little bit right now you know i need to sit down for a bit right now i need to go eat something right now or i don't need to eat something right now you know um i think when we can listen to that innate intelligence of our body and just go with the flow a bit more um then i i think that is the way our body is designed to work and, and i think there is a lot of a lot of wisdom in that that has evolved over a very very long period of time uh, you know there there are reasons often i think that we don't even understand why our body is telling us to do those things and you know obviously in our modern world we need to be careful that that's not getting clouded by addictions addictions to you know whether that's social media or food or whatever it is that is you know not necessarily natural and can be clouding that innate intelligence to a degree Uh, but I still think there's a lot of value in listening to that innate intelligence and listening to your body as well oh my gosh our innate intelligence has been destroyed by all the things you mentioned and then some, uh, you know, and I'm a big golfer. I love the sport of speed golf where you have to move so quickly that, you you know, you kind of get out of that uh, over analytical mindset and uh, demand that your body's innate intelligence takes over because I didn't have time to check the yardage. So I'm just standing over uh, what turns out to be a 63 yard pitch shot. And there's no reference point. I know uh, Dave Pels, he's a big uh, golf teacher. He writes a book where the clock method of taking your club back to nine o'clock and swinging it through to three o'clock is the way to hit a 20 yard chip. But when you're a speed golfer, it's all about innate athletic intelligence. And it's such a wonderful experience to go out there and realize that getting out of that analytical mindset and just going with the flow and looking at a target and swinging the club amazing things happen. And a lot of golfers that play uh, discover that they play as good or better than when they're taking (laughs) all the time in the world and they have 14 clubs instead of five and the caddy's telling them about the wind direction and how the slope of this particular hole, the ball usually runs a little bit to the right. So plan for that. And then you go hit a crappy shot into the sand trap. And I think, you know, taking that concept Oh, I love how chiropractic, that's such a central element of uh, the chiropractic approach too. Uh, But then going back earlier in your story where, uh, you know, you were talking about the same thing as applied to, you know, your direction in life. Yeah, I think I need to try speed golf because, you know, for someone who is relatively sporty and coordinated, I'm terrible at hitting a golf ball. So I'm thinking maybe I just need to do it faster. Just get out of my head and just whack the thing, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, the practice swing is like the biggest thing in golf, but it's like, wait a second, if your swing's crappy to begin with, why are you taking a practice swing, man? Get up to that ball and hit the thing. Yeah, big, uh, big big thumbs up for speed golf and it's pretty big in australia there's a whole circuit down there uh virginia deegan runs the speed golf association of australia so they would be happy to hear from uh from dr brett to to come join forces there yeah yeah well i'd never heard of it until last time i interviewed you i think and you spoke about it i'd I'd never even heard of it it sounded fascinating so i still haven't tried it yet it's definitely going to have to be on the list right on so this uh, ebook is available uh, worldwide. Obviously, we can go look on Amazon or your website, I guess, Dr. Brett yep. Hill, drbretthill.com. 
And yeah, it's, uh, it's actually it's yeah. so new that it's not even on Amazon yet. <laughs> so it's it's on my website, and it, it, in fact, probably by the time this interview goes live, it will be on Amazon. But it's actually not there yet. Uh, but it is available on the uh, on the website. And um, and also, obviously, the the mentoring. You know, if people want to do um, mentoring, um, I've, I've set up a special link for you, if that's okay, if I can share that with people. Um, so if, if they go to drbretthill.com forward slash primal, um, what they can actually do is they can join me in my mentoring group for 30 days for free. Um, so part of that is we do uh, every month, we do two mentoring sessions. Um, now, those will be Time zones are not great for you guys. <laughs> so the, too bad. It shows your commitment to the project if that's you it, get on that's the time it. zone. Come on, people. So, but, but they are all available on recordings as well. And in fact, all of the mentoring sessions I've done over the last sort of six months up to this date are available in the, in the membership site. Um, so you can go and listen to those. Um, they, there's also a private group where I interact with my members every single day. So you can go in there and share what your challenges are, what your wins are, ask any questions you want of me and, and I'll answer them every single day. Um, and we do a 21-day challenge every month. Um, and so we do, uh, you know, whether that's food or exercise or mindset or gratitude or, you know, uh, stretching or, you know, every month we pick something different just as a bit of a challenge, just to, you know, uh, flex that resilience muscle and, and to get ourselves in that habit of that, that growth mindset of understanding that we can sort of change and grow. So, yeah, drbretthill.com forward slash primal. Um, come join me for 30 days. There's no commitment to sort of stay beyond that. If you want to stay beyond that, that's great. Uh, but if you just want to, you know, spend 30 days and get a bit more resilient, then that's totally okay too. Love it. Dr. Brett Hill, thanks for joining us from all the way down under in Adelaide. Good luck to the footies in the in the championships coming up. <laughs> and thank you for all those wonderful insights. Go get the book, Rock Bottom People. Thank you for listening. Primal Blueprint listeners don't compromise on pantry classics. Whether you're going keto, paleo, in the middle of a whole 30-month, or adding to your Primal-approved arsenal, Primal Kitchen has a full range of mayo, ketchup, dressings, and oils that add flavor and variety to any meal without ever compromising on ingredient quality. From avocado oil-based mayos bursting with flavors like Kiki Chipotle Lime, Creamy Classic, Zesty Garlic Aioli, or Savory Pesto, to unsweetened ketchups and organic mustards, there's a condiment to complement every taste bud. Be sure to stock up on Primal Kitchen avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, and new balsamic vinegar of Modena to add ease and great flavor to any dish, whether you're grilling, baking, broiling, braising, sautéing, or stir-frying. Primal Blueprint listeners can get their favorites 20% off when they use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout.